0: Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the Nocillicast podcast, hosted at PodFeed.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, September 19th, 2021, and this is show number 854. This week's episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond is another episode of Programming by Stealth. It's episode 125 of Programming by Stealth, and it is the final episode before we launch into the back end of web, debe- new web development with PHP. In this episode, Bart finishes his mini-series on chmod to allow us to manage our dot .files. He teaches us how to effectively manage our dot .files on multiple computers using templating to ensure that the correct settings end up on every computer. You can find this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond or Programming by Stealth, depending on how you want to ch- look for it, in your podcatcher of choice. And of course, there's a link in the show notes to Bart's fabulous tutorial show notes. I have a couple of other really fun things to plug. Last week on the Nocillacast, you heard Rob Dunwood talking about his new podcast called The Tech John, that's J-A-W-N, and uh, it's a show with Terrence Gaines and Stephanie Humphrey. It has now officially gone live with episode zero that was originally in the Daily Tech News Show, Experiment Week, and an all-new episode recorded just this week. If you'd like to hear the weekly tech headlines delivered from a fresh perspective of diverse voices covering how tech affects African Americans, I highly recommend you check out The Tech John in your podcatcher of choice, or of course, follow the link in the show notes to thetechjohn.com. Here's another thing to listen to. You know I love the Clockwise podcast, and I especially love to be on the show with Dan Morin and Micah Sargent. The only thing better than that is when you play an episode and you suddenly hear that Barbu Shots is on the show. Check out episode number 415 of Clockwise, where he and Heather Kelly talk about tech emergency preparedness, thoughts on cashier list stores, and whether they would add digital IDs to their Apple wallets. You can find the link to the show notes, or to the show in the show notes, and of course you can find Clockwise in your podcatcher of choice. Okay, I promise this is the last thing I'm going to plug before we get started into the show. You may remember me talking about the marvelous podcast, Stories Your Granny Never Told, by Dr. Nikki Ackermans. I got to be a guest on the show a while ago, and the other guests and their stories have been truly wonderful. One of my favorites was episode two where she interviews her own grandpa and how he went to war in the jungles of Papua New Guinea and ended up whale watching with Clint Eastwood in Alaska. This month's show is very special to me as she played a recording I had made many years ago for Chit Chat Across the Pond. My father was in World War II and was serving on an LST ship and got caught in a huge typhoon in Okinawa. My dad wrote a letter to my parents telling, or to his parents, I should say, telling them all about the experience of having his ship wrecked on the shore and so many other ships wrecked. And I had the great honor of having noted voiceover artist Ron David read that letter to the audience. Now, you may not know Ron David's name, but if you watched Raise the Titanic on National Geographic or Wings on the Discovery Channel, you definitely know his voice. Anyway, Nikki was on vacation in France this month, so playing this wonderful recording for her show worked out perfectly and gives me another chance to let people hear my father's words. You can find this episode of Stories Your Granny Never Told in your podcatcher of choice or at storiesyourgrannynevertold.com. Okay, let's finally kick into the real show. By now, you've all either watched the Apple event this week, or you've heard commentary, or you've read the details of the announcements. I'm absolutely not going to cover every detail ad nauseum, but I do have a few observations that I'd really like to share. I continue to be really happy that Apple has an entry-level iPad that is really capable. This year, they brought a couple of things to this device that I think makes it even more compelling. With the announcement of the fifth-generation iPad Pro earlier this year, Apple introduced a technology they call Center Stage. Now, when they introduced it, I was completely unimpressed, but it's actually really amazing. With Center Stage, Apple uses the wide-angle camera and then zooms in on you as the subject of the call. Because it's zoomed in on the view it's capturing, it can pan around the view as you move. This is not a mechanical zoom and pan. It's taking that larger view and cropping to zoom in. In that way, if you move, it can move with you, but if someone joins you in front of the camera, it'll zoom back out, uncropping, if you will, to show both of you. Now, this sounds like a gimmick, but it is so compelling that I find myself starting and joining FaceTime calls and Zoom calls from my iPad rather than my phone or my Mac because it's such a cool effect. For $329, the iPad Nothing continues to be a very compelling product at a great price, especially now that it has the new uh, center stage capability. Now, I have an iPad Mini, and it has one single job and that's to act as a control center for the app Steve and I use to manage our live show. That didn't keep me from buying a new one when Apple announced it this week. Now, you know I'm a fan of Apple Pencil, so I was excited to see the Mini get Gen 2 Pencil support. With this upgrade, you will always have your pencil with you because it sticks to it. I know that seems like a small thing, but it's actually a huge thing. If it's not right there and charged, I find I simply won't use the pencil. Now, this week, I'm working on a Screencast Online tutorial about Joplin, and I discovered on iPad Mini when I was doing the demo that it supports Apple Scribble technology, so I can handwrite with pencil and have it appear as real text. That's huge, because typing on that tiny little screen is a real chore. Now, I'm not saying the new iPad Mini is going to change my life, but it was available for order on day one, so that might have had something to do with me buying it, in purple. Let's move on to the Apple Watch Series 7. I was really hoping the rumors were true that the Series 7 watch would come with squared off sides, but only because I wanted it to look new. In fact, I suspect it would be a less comfortable form factor with square edges. It was interesting that Apple specifically said a softer, more rounded edge, probably to point out why they went farther away from a squared off edge towards a rounded edge. Now, Apple Series 7 will have a 20% more screen real estate, and that should really be a noticeable increase. Now, it's not as big as the leap we got from Series 3 to 4, which was a 35% increase, but I will still take as much usable screen area as I possibly can get. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. That's about the only thing that really is exciting. But hey, it's going to look new. When I look down on my watch, it's going to look different. So that's exciting. I have just a couple of comments about the iPhone 13. I know Apple loves to say things like 15.8 trillion operations per second, but I'm not sure that's why anybody buys a new phone. Even saying things like 30% faster 4-core GPU doesn't really blow my dress up. What absolutely did blow my dress up was when they said they were bringing sensor shift, I'll say that again, sensor shift to the camera on all models of iPhone 13. Sensor shift means that the sensor itself will mechanically compensate for your hands shaking when trying to take photos. This technology was only available in the Max version of iPhone last year. I found a fantastic video breakdown of an iPhone 12 and Max by Jerry Rig Everything, in which he got all the way down to the cameras and he explained how they work. So this is this is looking at the Max from last year and its uh, and its sensor shift versus the iPhone 12 with just the regular optical image stabilization. So while the iPhone 12 non-max version does have optical image stabilization, they do it by allowing the entire camera to float, which does help a lot with shaky hands. With sensor shift though, they're actively measuring the jiggle and compensating for that jiggle using tiny magnets and coils to move just the sensor to compensate for the motion. Now, I spent a good chunk of my career designing steering mirrors to compensate for motion in just this very matter. My steering mirrors, though, were tiny, but nothing like what Apple is doing here. As Jerry describes in his video breakdown, the magnets are the size of ants. Now, Jerry explains that optical image stabilization at the camera level can compensate for motion at up to 1,000 adjustments per second but by moving the much tinier and lighter sensor alone, as it will be in the 13 and it was in the max, it can react at 5,000 times per second. So it's going from 1,000 adjustments per second to 5,000 adjustments per second. Now, I'm not sure I need 5,000 adjustments per second because I've got fairly steady hands, but I've seen some examples that suggest it can really help. Now, sadly, sensor shift, for some reason, is only on the wide camera. That's the regular one, if you will, not the ultra-wide, not the telephoto, the middle one. And I think that's really a shame because the other probably bigger difference with iPhone 13's camera is that it now sports a 3x telephoto instead of 2x. I know people are wild about the ultra-wide lens for landscape photography, but I just don't take many photos in ultra-wide. I take far more photos in telephoto than wide, so I'm super excited about a 3x optical uh, telephoto. So I'm, I'm, I'm really curious why they put sensor shift in the wide lens instead of the telephoto, because that's where the effect of shaky hands is more magnified. Oh well. Now another camera feature that I'm really looking forward to is the new macro capability. If you haven't played around with macro photography before, the thing you're looking for in the specs is how close you can get to the subject with the camera lens. If you're trying to get a crisp focus on a murder hornet's wings, you need to be able to get really close. The iPhone 13 will be able to focus down to 2 centimeters from your subject, which is that's less than an inch. That's really, really good. The new macro capability in the ultrawide lens at f1.8 on a phone's camera will be amazing and you can use it in video and slow-mo photography. Now, I may not come up with anything amazing with that, but I bet we will see some amazing stuff on the internet shot with this camera. Now, Apple also announced cinematic mode for video, which pretty much looks like witchcraft to me. They demonstrated how you could set the focus on one person, but if they look away, the focus changes to the subject of their vision. That's that's crazy pants. I just Really? Anyway, I doubt I'm ever going to use it, but it sure does make the iPhone's camera an even more compelling tool for real videographers. Now people have been clamoring for 120Hz refresh rate, and while that was a huge leap up on my TV screen, I'm not sure I'm going to notice it on my phone. Apple didn't ever specifically say 120Hz in their demo, rather they showed that the frame rate adapts depending on what you're doing, so they can save battery. And in the video, you could see it went up to 120 hertz at times, but when you didn't need 120 hertz, it stayed down low, and in fact, went really, really low. Again, I bet I'm never going to notice this. Now, the longer battery life, two and a half hours longer than the full-size 12, sounds awesome. It does come at a cost, though, as the iPhone 13 Pro weighs 6% more than the 12. But that seems like a small price to pay. Anyway, because it was iPhone and Apple Watch announcement week, both of my devices have started dying around 8 p.m. I assume they'll automatically go back to normal now that the announcement has come out. None of the devices Apple announced this week are game changers if you have last year's models, but they're all faster, they all have brighter screens, some have more screen real estate, and they continue to outpace their rivals if you look at the specs and believe their claims. That's good enough for me. Remember a few weeks back, I talked to you about 1Password and their move to an Electron app and how the Mac internet lost its collective ever-loving mind about feeling abandoned and I didn't see why? Well, when I published my blog post, I included on the tweet about it AgileBits founder and author of 1Password, Dave Tier, along with Michael Fay, the author of one of their blog posts I'd referenced in my article. Now, as you might imagine, my blog post made Dave Tier pretty happy after a couple of weeks of pure anger from the internet. Because I tweeted in this way, including him on my tweet, I became part of a few threads Dave had with other customers, and as a result, I got to see how Dave responded to his customers. One thread became very interesting, and I'd like to read it to you. The conversation was between Dave and a gentleman named Christian. I don't know Christian, and he's not a huge influencer of any sort. He's just a customer. Christian first responded to my tweet back to Dave by writing, unsubscribed after many years, trying LastPass. Now Dave could have simply ignored Christian, but instead this is what he wrote back. I'm sorry to hear this. What part of 1Password 8 scared you away? In any event, I hope we can win you back someday. I thought it was interesting that he would write back to a customer who was obviously angry and leaving anyway. I can only imagine how busy Dave was at that time, and yet he set aside the time to respond to this one voice. I imagine that Christian was probably surprised to hear back from Dave, and it also encouraged him to take a different path than simply leaving 1Password. Christian wrote back, Okay, I gave it another chance to try the beta, and it does not feel snappy. I'm running on an M1 device. The interface design looks a bit cheap, so you improve the speed of the menu when you click the plus button to add a new item, you could really tell it's not a native app. Right away, this told me that Dave taking the attitude that he did was exactly the way to open someone's mind, even if it was just a little bit. Now, Christian wasn't a convert by any means, but he was in the conversation, and he was giving concrete examples of what he didn't like. Dave could have dropped it at this point, but he continued his conversation with Christian. He sent a two-part tweet to Christian, and unfortunately, I was only able to find part two, but in that tweet, Dave continued to pursue understanding from Christian. Dave wrote, Changes to item list scrolling to improve performance there. Where are you seeing things get sluggish? Would be helpful to know where to focus our efforts during the early access beta period to make sure we ship an awesome app when it's ready. Thank you for helping. Think about that. Dave thanked Christian. In a couple of tweets, Dave now has Christian helping him improve the product. Dave genuinely does want Christian's feedback and is encouraging him to continue to provide feedback while at the same time reminding him and anyone reading along that this is the early access beta period when constructive feedback is most valuable. Christian's next response was interesting. He wrote, Okay, I continued testing. It's not perfect, but it works. I'm going to keep using 1Password. But if you ever create a native app again, I will move from okay to happy. I miss the bouncing of the app when you type your master password wrong. It feels just static. Isn't that awesome? Dave was able through being respectful and open to criticism to turn someone from angry and having left the product to engaged to being a continuing customer. The story wasn't done yet. Dave wrote back, thanks for continuing your testing. We've heard from a lot of people that they want the playfulness back on the lock screen. Saw some internal demos of this in development. I think you'll like the update when it comes out. So how could this be any more awesome? Such a silly little thing as the jiggle when you mistype has gotten into the roadmap just because people enjoy it. I think these little touches are an underlying reason why Apple people are so committed to the platform. It reminds me of the first time I plugged my iPod Nano into my Mac when I opened iTunes and it showed my iPod as being product red. It absolutely delighted me. It made zero difference to my usability of the product but it surprised and delighted me. Dave and Christian had one final exchange. Christian responded with, and good job with the memory management for an Electron app. Microsoft Teams just sucks so badly. Christian, who said he was going to try LastPass and was unsubscribing from 1Password, is now a proponent of 1Password and is very happy. The final word from Dave was, thank you, memory management is one of the reasons we're so excited about Rust and then he put a crab and a little hugging emoji. I don't know what crab and hugging face means, but I think the story ended well. Now, not sure what lesson you learned from all of this, but I learned that my own approach can be improved in how I engage with people when they're unhappy, and I hope to be more like Dave Tier when I grow up. And no, 1Password did not sponsor this article. This week's hero of the Podfeet podcast is Tim Genvik, our newest patron. Imagine the delight that Tim felt when he had the joy of going to podfeed.com Patreon and pledging a dollar amount that he felt reflected the value he gets out of the shows we produce here. He probably felt marvelous knowing he was helping to keep the podcast, PodFeed podcast ad-free. You too can feel marvelous like Tim and be one of our heroes. Now, Christoph Trush also came in with what he calls his quarterly payment, where he uses PayPal to send a donation every three months. This is a great way to support the show because it helps me to remember to keep thanking him for his generous support. He does this by going to podfeed.com PayPal and putting in a reminder in his calendar. I just want to do a big shout out and many thanks to Tim and Christoph for their support of the shows we do here. It's that time of the week again. It's time for security bits with Bart Boost Shots. How are you today, Bart? I am grand.
1: I just had myself um well, I've earned myself some extra calories for dessert today because I had I had my whole day planned out and I was I gave myself five minutes of spare on my cycle that I had planned. And I was exactly halfway from home, the furthest point of my route, and I met a sign that said, Road closed, diversion turn left. <laughs> Oops. But I know that other road. That's the road I got hit by a van on. I hate that other road. And that other road is 15 minutes longer and I have five minutes of spare. But I got home on time
0: because I went like a bat out of hell. (laughs) I've been meaning to ask you, and this is a very odd time to ask you, but I keep forgetting anyway. When you got hit by the van, did your watch call emergency services?
1: It offered to. And I, in foolishly, went, no, no, I'm fine.
0: <laughs> oh, you did not. Oh, jeez. Okay, the watch can't fix, stupid. <laughs>
1: nope. Uh It happened, actually, I, I, the first time I had clip-on pedals, I fell over at zero miles an hour because my feet <laughs> were... And the watch also offered to phone, phone 911. And I was like, no, I just fell over because I'm an idiot.
0: Leave me alone. <laughs> sounds more like the kind of thing I would do. Now, the first thing, I was under 60 when I got my first Apple Watch that had that capability. Mm. The first thing I did was turn it on anyway, because if you're under 60, it's not on by default.
1: I did the same, to be honest, because of all the cycling and stuff I do. I figured, well, actually, to be honest, the better half was like, you're turning that on. It's was like, sir, yes, sir.
0: <laughs> well, I have it on just because I fall over when I'm just standing, so... <laughs> My, my entire family is a, uh, a family of klutzes. I was just talking to my brother about that, about how my mother would get mad at me. She would say, you're always hurting yourself. And I'm like, I got this genetically. Have you noticed how many times you've broken your own toe? <laughs> Four times. My father broke his nose so many times. So they actually took the bones out of her toe. That's how many times she broke it. It's just like, yeah, we can't fix this anymore. It's it's done. And they took, my father broke his nose so many times, they took the bones out of, the the uh, cartilage out of that. I so just, all he it, he could take his nose and tape uh, it to the side of his face. <laughs> he only did it for Halloween. I was going to say, and, and what about like sunglasses? Would they stay up? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he still had the bones at the top. He just uh, oh, didn't right, have so any of the cartilage. The okay. Yeah, yeah, anyway, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm. I de- I'm definitely a fan of the fall detection. And did you see with the, uh, I think it's just the Series 7, not the watch OS, that it's going to notice if you're cycling and it'll notice if you fall over cycling? Well,
1: I did see that terrible bit of the video where they showed the guy in the mountain bike <laughs> clattering to the ground.
0: I was like, yeah, that's too familiar. Go! <laughs> they did not like that. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, we should probably get off of this topic and get started with some security stuff.
1: Yeah, we're also vamping because it's been a strangely quiet two weeks. I, part of me was like, have I just like forgotten my RSS feeds or something? But no, I, I kept up with the news as normal. It just didn't happen much. Uh Thank We didn't some follow-up though.
0: Hey, wouldn't it be neat if one day you go, nope, nothing happened. That would be a, a nice here. problem. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to go, Allison. it's fixed. All of it, it's all everything. done.
1: Signing off. <laughs> Finish <stayed> the internet.
0: <laughs> you stayed patched and you stayed secure. We're done.
1: I <laughs> yeah. um, follow up on some uh, long-running stories. Then we have the NSO Pegasus uh, saga, as I'm calling it. Uh, Apple have officially patched the vulnerabilities with lots and lots of hoopla. It made the morning news here in Ireland, and like that's like a five-minute news summary, and it made that. So you know, Afghanistan was going on, and it made the news.
0: Um. Yeah, I was really surprised at how much press that got uh, to the point that uh, my daughter Lindsay's mother-in-law, who is is brilliant and everything, but would tell you that she's not terribly technical, she said to Lindsay, hey, there's a big security update. Have you done it on your phone? Wow. So it, 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 got, it got to the norms. Yeah, which
1: it's funny how it's the ones that doesn't, you know, you're not really likely to be the target. And of all the ones you should care about, this probably isn't it, but it's
0: sort of funny how it <laughs> works like that. But anyway. Oh, no, I, I can tell you exactly why it worked that way, Bart. Who was doing the reporting? Reporters. Who was the target? Ooh. Reporters. <laughs> that's a, a re-
1: really good point. Yes, 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 yes. No, that makes more sense now. I get it. But yeah, so that's patched, which is good. And they patched good. it a long way back as well. They they basically patched everything. They Everything, and, they so blew the dust off at all, patched it. And...
0: One thing you might be missing, it's iPhone, iPad, watch uh It's not Apple TV, oh but, great! Oh, and Mac, and Mac. So it's 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 a big one. It's it's across the board. Get her done.
1: Yes, indeed. It was a PDF library, wasn't it? Which is why it snuck in.
0: Oh, PDF is that what it processing. was? Processing. Yeah. So well, oddly enough, my, my uh, Monterey beta machine did not have an update. It has now since then. But right when it all broke and I had it on all my devices, it was not on Monterey. So I don't know if it got there later or what happened.
1: Given it's a beta OS, it might as have got there later because it's not under active support yet. Yeah. Support, you know, okay. doesn't exist, exists and then ceases to exist. So you're still in the support doesn't exist yet.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: Uh, and we also found out uh, from a bit of local reporting that the German government are customers of Pegasus, which is uh, nice, I guess.
0: Oh. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Yeah, they are a grey hat company and the German government are, you know, not the UAE, um, or any of the other more authoritarian governments out there. So I guess Germany having it is less bad, but
0: you know, interesting nonetheless. <laughs> he squints and tries to round up.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, We also talk a lot about social media companies and their attempts to improve their software to deal with the obvious problems they're having on society and so forth. Um, So WhatsApp have given another small little bit of privacy. You can have end-to-end encrypted backups on iCloud now with the latest version of WhatsApp. Um, And I didn't pop it in the show notes because it's only in beta, but uh, there is a beta version being tested of actual multiple device support believe it or not, of, of, WhatsApp. of WhatsApp.
0: I don't know what you mean by multiple device support. As, you as in can you can already use it multiple do it on de- your... F-
1: well, you keep complaining, you have to keep logging in and logging out. That's going to go away.
0: Okay, okay. Multiple Simultaneous devices yes. got you. Okay. Uh, In related news, uh, Tom Merritt reported on the Daily Tech News show that you remember when uh, WhatsApp said that they're going to be sharing data with their parent company, Facebook, and everybody lost their ever-loving minds and jumped onto other services like Telegram. Mm -hmm. Apparently, uh, uh, organized crime and and, and evil bad people have been showing up now in Telegram. So, you know, Telegram's really come into its own.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know you've succeeded when the dregs of the internet consider you home. Hmm. Exactly,
0: exactly. I, I got to check and see how porn's doing because that's usually your leading indicator, right? Whether <laughs> you're actually popular. <laughs> Indeed, uh, that, that was a joke, people.
1: Um, and uh, an interesting related story from Tidbits. I couldn't really find a place to plug it in, but it was a really good article, so I figured this is a place to hang it. But. End-to-end encryption is really good, but it only protects you between the ends. So that has no guarantee that the person you securely communicated with is going to keep anything you tell them confidential. If I tell you something through a perfect mechanism and you tell the world, no privacy.
0: Well, and if if the well, let's let's back up and take it with the WhatsApp example. They said end to end encrypted backups on iCloud, but iCloud isn't encrypted, right? Uh, well, so no, no, no,
1: Sorry, if it was end to end encrypted backups in something, it means that the only way to get them back that they would stay encrypted from the moment they leave your device and be encrypted on the cloud. So they'd be for the if for backups actually end to end encryption means that the host company can't see it. But if you have an end to end conversation, then there okay. is a okay. two party. System. A backup is like a a a, one-party conversation.
0: So it's a uh, uh, end-to-end encryption in the conversation context is is not a postcard being sent. It's a sealed envelope. But when you open it on your end, then you can do other stuff with it.
1: Yeah, and then uh, sort of the reason it came into conversation is because there are features in I think I think it was WhatsApp as well actually where you can report a private message as being abusive. And then the unencrypted content is sent to the uh, reviewers by the person who received the message. That doesn't break end-to-end encryption. It was securely delivered to the person who took offense, who then sent it to WhatsApp for viewing. So yes, it's an end-to-end encrypted service, but no, it doesn't mean no one ever sees it.
0: I like Tom's coverage of that too. Yes, if you send something to the WhatsApp staff to have them look at it, it's Make not encrypted see. anymore. <laughs> yeah. You you just got it and then gave it to us and then we read it.
1: It's even worse. You asked us to read it and we read it and now you're angry we've seen it? Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> in a very similar vein. Uh, so the Wall Street Journal had a great big Auga Auga headline about how one in three teenagers were harmed uh, would were harmed by being on Instagram. It's like, well... That statistic was in the internal research that is the basis for your story. But that statistic didn't mean what you implied
0: it meant. Um back up a little bit. This was a to the audience. This was a an internal to Instagram research. So Instagram did this research.
1: And they are still doing research. on their research. own product. Yeah, and right. they are still doing research part of an ongoing program. So they were trying to figure out how their service affects people. Who are prone to body image issues? So the study had a selection bias by design. And they found that one in three people in their highly biased sample, they intentionally biased, were having their issues made worse by being on the platform.
0: That's not the same. What was their sample that was highly
1: biased? They looked for teenagers, right? Teenagers with body image issues, one in three of those had the issues made worse by being on Instagram. That's not the same as one in three teenagers.
0: Okay. Okay. Right? I did not catch that subtlety. I did not I know. hear that that's what it was. Okay.
1: Neither, neither did I until I listened to the interview with Insta, the head of Instagram uh, done on Rico Daily. And I was like, oh, okay, this this is what happens when you snip a headline. Basically, You take a bullet point from a PowerPoint presentation, remove all surrounding context and what you end up with is a fantastic headline, but no actual information for the people consuming your news. So what I heard on the interview, which is linked in the show notes, it's not a long interview, it's a 15 minute show. What I heard was a company going out of, you know, basically doing the right thing and researching what's going on in their platform so they understand their systems and what needs tweaking. And to make that sound like a scandal is just like no reward. Companies who are trying to figure out what their product is doing don't. Anyway, it, uh, after having listened to the interview, my feeling was okay. This this is good. Whereas the headline was like "AUGA AUGA Evil Evil Evil," and I I, I don't think the headlines fair.
0: So in um, Tom's coverage of this on Daily Tech News, uh, he reported. That while the researchers did find this concerning, you know, it does make this not concerning. It, it just means it's different concerning than one in three teenagers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in that, that the uh, people who could affect change to the way the algorithm works to, that does help cause these body image problems, um, those people's bonuses are all tied to make them do it, use it more. And therefore, we're not responsive to the study to say, oh, okay, we'll try to, here's things we could do to make this less likely to happen.
1: Incentives are, okay, misaligned incentives are always bad. Because to me, incentives are like (laughs) railway tracks.
0: Yeah, well, it might might not be a mistake what their incentives are set at. That might be intentional.
1: Yeah, which gets us back to who owns them again? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Exactly.
1: But the fact that they're doing the research is not a scandal. And the fact that the research found one in three doesn't mean what people thought it meant. It's not one in three randomly chosen teenagers.
0: That's good to know. Okay.
1: And the comparison to the tobacco industry is just ridiculous. But anyway, that's, yeah. So basically, I actually thought the interview was really good with, because I wouldn't, my bias would not be to think, oh yeah, head of Instagram, he's a sound guy. But <laughs> I listened to the interview and I was like, oh, okay, I think more of you than I did before. Yeah, grading on a curve, but you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bar was not too high to climb up, huh?
1: Indeed, but still, I, I thought it. I thought it was an, a revealing interview, quite candid. I thought not, I didn't. And
0: Bert is, is, linked to it in the show notes too.
1: Correctamundo. Uh, in terms of action alerts, uh, it really is just—it uh, was Patch Tuesday. Microsoft patched a whole bunch of stuff, including a zero day that was being actively exploited. In fact, being actively exploited like so actively that even though Patch Tuesday was just a few days away, Microsoft released a statement saying, "Auga, auga! In these circumstances, you need to disable ActiveX or you're in deep danger." But now it's patched.
0: Oh, good. So patchy, patchy. So that was on. uh, That was IE and. Well, it's basically, but it wasn't Edge, right?
1: It's yeah, but the problem is way worse than that. So almost no one browses with IE anymore, but the HTML brain of IE is called MSHTML, and that is still used inside a whole bunch of core OS components. So while you may be browsing the web with Edge, bits of the OS are still using the old IE code, even if you aren't. So that's actually okay. why it was a really dangerous vulnerability.
0: So they release Edge for other operating systems, but that would not have this MS HTML core?
1: Correct, because okay. MSHTML basically is what got... Re- the difference between IE and Edge is that instead of MSHTML, it uses a port of the, the heart of uh, Chromium. Okay. So especially Google's HTML renderer instead of the old Microsoft HTML renderer.
0: Got you. Okay.
1: So yeah, big zero days ooga ooga. But then there was a patch release a few days later, so now it's just very straightforward. Patchy patchy patch patch. And as we've already mentioned, Apple patched everything. So patchy patchy <laughs> patch patch. <laughs> this is this is first in a long time. Worthy warnings blank. So we can jump straight That's on. That's kinda weird. It is kind of wow. weird.
0: So we can jump. Oh yeah, onto... we skipped over deep dive too.
1: Yeah, none of those this week either. So straight to notable news. Uh, the UN Human UN Commission for Human Rights, sorry, the UN Human Rights Council, HCR. This is one of those things with the acronyms in French, isn't it? Anyway, UNHCR, which is the Human Rights Council, have called for governments around the world to pause the use of facial recognition and other AI systems until safeguards to protect human rights can be developed and deployed. I don't think anyone's going to huh. listen. But it is good that the UA, basically the head of the UN for Human Rights is like, You know this facial recognition stuff. This is actually a human rights issue.
0: I wonder how much of this uh, is related to the misidentification of people with dark skin in facial recognition.
1: There's at least some of that going on, but I think a lot of it is being triggered by what's going on in China, where you basically have a 1984-style police state being made possible by this technology. Really, okay, okay.
0: I learned on the Tech John podcast with um, Terrence Gaines and Rob Dunwood and, oh, I can't remember the woman's name. I haven't have met her yet, uh, where they were talking about the fact that African-American women get misidentified at, I want to say they said something like 20 times as often as as a white female. Or as white people in general? Like women, African American women in general were really misidentified.
1: My understanding is basically that men are recognized better than women, and white people are recognized better than non-white people. So non-white women are just like, it just multiplies, right? Yeah. In the worst possible way. Way
0: worse. Not, Not like twice as bad. It's multiple, yeah because they multiply together things. so it's
1: it's, it's oh it's, yeah no it, it really is and it's down to the data sets be basically with AI garbage in garbage out or sorry machine learning let's let's be specific if yeah. you train your machine learning on bad data you're teaching it the bad stuff was was it LinkedIn or who was it who trained a machine learning algorithm on their past hires. And the assumption was a computer won't be biased, but they trained it on their past hires. So what they <laughs> actually did was cemented permanently into place all the sexism and racism that had been around for years that they wanted to get rid of. So they had just made a machine be racist and sexist.
0: Yeah. I, I, I always think of a question Leo asked during uh Twit one day where he said, I understand that that, you know, we've got got diversity problems, but what What does a a non-diverse workforce actually cause in change in a product? And he was he was sincerely asking the question, you know, because we hadn't actually seen it. So I think of his his question every time because this is the answer to that question: the unintended consequence of of having a a a non-diverse workforce causes unintended consequences. Like I said,
1: yeah, basically products that don't work once. They're applied here on planet Earth, where there are the diversity of people.
0: Yeah, yeah. On the tech, John again, they were talking about um, you know those really annoying sensors under uh, faucets that you try to get the faucet to go. I so just want to wash they my don't hands. work. Yeah. They're they're like one of the worst things on Earth. But it turns out if you're black, they don't work at all. They're actually way worse. And, I, you know, at first I was like, oh, come on, that's just bad for everybody. And I looked it up, and sure enough, there's all this research into how do we make these detectors actually see dark skin? Like, we haven't figured that out yet, or we're trying to figure that out. I mean, we all hate them, so stop making them anyway, but...
1: <laughs> right, they're already deployed, and you haven't figured out how to make a whole big sway of the world actually be able to wash their hands?
0: Yeah. I, I think washing hands be... was
1: important. That was before right. the pandemic. <laughs> Um, The next story here, I I was so many shapes. Is this a security story? Is this not a security story? But I guess it kind of is a security story that Facebook have decided to make in conjunction with Ray-Ban sunglasses with a built-in camera.
0: Yeah, that sounded kind of cool.
1: Yeah. No? But so, you know the way... With Google Glass, it was both a way for the wearer to see things and the wearer could rather spookily record everyone secretly. Well, Facebook have skipped straight beyond the being useful to the wearer part. They are just hidden video cameras. That's all they are. There's no AR. It's just a video camera in your sunglasses with a really teeny light that almost no one can see.
0: Okay, so everybody on Earth is walking around with a video camera. If I'm holding
1: my phone up, it's pretty obvious I'm videoing you. If I'm walking around with a pair of glasses on. uh, I'm pretty sure I could
0: surreptitiously record you with my phone without you realizing it.
1: Oh, yeah, with effort, you can do
0: almost anything, but... But you also have to reach up... Oops, sorry, my microphone. You can also reach up and tap... er, You have to tap it to make it go. Yeah, well...
1: I, did, I watched the video of a, security re- of a security researcher putting him on and going on the street and going, do you know I'm recording you? And everyone's like, nope, not a clue. Oh yeah, I'm recording you. It's I don't know. Of all the people, this is, you know, to some extent it's a cool product and then you go to yourself, but of
0: all the people to release it, Facebook? So it's because it's Facebook that it bothers you? I'm
1: certainly not buying them anyway, that's for sure. If the, uh,
0: no, but I mean, if it was Apple, would you have had the same reaction to it? I,
1: it would depend on how effective it was at actually being transparent about what it's doing. I, I would have to make a case-by-case judgment on it, to be honest. Yeah. And I guess like where we are as a society, because at some point as a society, we're just going to assume we're being recorded all the time, at which point all of this becomes moot.
0: Well, every we're not ring there. video doorbell you're walking by is recording you. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, you're being recorded all the time.
1: There's a difference though in snippets that aren't connected and record every conversation you have with someone being recorded end-to-end. It's not quite the same, but anyway.
0: I've seen Black Mirror.
1: (laughs) Well, you're right. There we go, exactly. That's that's kind of always niggling away at me here. But anyway, we get to end Notable News on what I think is a good news story. Uh, The U.S. Federal Trade Commission have issued some new rules. Health apps have a duty to report data breaches now. So good. That's good. Yeah, exactly. So if you're if you are holding people's health data and you have a breach, you have to tell people that you've had a breach. So I I can see no way to make that into a bad thing. So
0: so there was a uh here's in context, um 60 million records were exposed uh from uh Fitbit, Apple and Google Health in a massive data breach. Did you see that one?
1: I did not see that one.
0: That- so that was on September 14th. I've got remote, uh, reporting from commando.com, Kim Commando. Um, but it was, I heard about it other places as well. But it was um, a, a health app. Let's see. It was a database that belonged to a, a New York City-based company, Get Health, And uh, it, the data breach affected, yeah, Fitbit, Google Fit, MapMyFitness, Microsoft, Sony LifeLog, Strava, Apple HealthKit, Android Sensor, and S Health.
1: But only if you were using their thing with it.
0: I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it was 60 million records. That's.
1: Records of 60 million people are 60 million pieces of data.
0: That is the thing that was in the back of my head. Uh, It was 17 gigabytes worth of data. So that's big. But boy, health apps collect a lot of data. I was going to say that's not
1: that many. I would think my health data, just my health database, has got to be at least a gig. So.
0: Yeah, I think I tried downloading mine once and it took a long time. Yeah. Uh, I, think it, I think it was the app Get Health. Get Health ID. I'll pop a link in the show notes. Yeah, I do. Hopefully none of
1: our listeners, hopefully that's not ringing bells. Yes. Because if it is ringing a bell, you have a problem. Yes. Um, since we don't really have that much news and stuff, there was actually a strangely large amount of interesting articles that, and I ended up reading, maybe because I just I had time, because there was nothing else to read. Um, but uh, one of the ones I really like is uh, Common Sense Media did an analysis of the various streaming options people have. They did an analysis from a hardware point of view, and they did an analysis from an app point of view. And in both analyses, the end result was exactly the same. Exactly one service got a passing grade. Every other service has a has a privacy warning on it. So the the poster has like, pass, warning, 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 warning. <laughs> Apple TV is the only passing hardware, and Apple TV Plus is the only passing service. All of the rest of them have privacy issues that are worthy of being called out as a warning. Oh, wow. So <laughs> the headline was, I think the headline I think I got from TechDirt Um Basically, every streaming company not named Apple receives lousy privacy grade. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's a a link in the show notes to a nice two-page PDF poster that summarizes their findings. Um,
0: But, yeah, that's something to be aware of. Uh, It is the reason, one of the main reasons I... um when I get a new TV is I just mm-hmm. turn off the, the turn off Wi-Fi, you know, never connected to the Wi-Fi signal and don't plug in an Ethernet cable, plug in an Apple TV.
1: And I am very much of the same mind, yeah. Let the brains be in the Apple TV where it gets proper security updates and stuff and is done by a company who takes my money directly as the customer instead of selling my data to make up for the fact that it didn't charge me enough. Yeah. Because that is the, the business model of that, oh, what's the name of that company
0: that make the really cheap televisions? Oh, not Vizio. Not Vizio. It sounds like Vizio. Yeah, it's one of those. Yeah, yeah, I think to have it without smarts is more expensive. Yeah, because they <laughs> their monetization gives you a leading is, indicator.
1: I was. They have a wonderful euphemism. It's post sales monetization. <laughs> In other words, we sell your stuff. Um, a, a less good story is a lot of reporting has been done around security researchers and how cranky they are that Apple's bug bounty program really isn't functioning very efficiently. Um, depending on on the bias of the person reporting, it's either a complete train wreck or it needs some work, but no one's saying it's all sweetness and roses over there. So hopefully hmm. that feedback is being taken on board and stuff is being changed. Uh, then Reuters have a really in-depth bit of reporting on... Ex-NSA employees who were hired by the UAE initially to spy on terrorists and stuff. And then as the Arab Spring and stuff started happening, they ended up being diverted into spying on dissidents and things. And a lot of the U.S. employees, i.e. the ex-NSA people, got really nervous about that and basically left and have started to tell their story. And it's a Mm. fascinating insight into how state-sponsored hacking is operated.
0: Hmm. Not a happy, happy so another joy one joy. of those things, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to uh, sleep at night after I, I read that? I'm not sure
1: it'll stop you sleeping. It, I just found it interesting to see how it actually, uh, how these programs hang together. Um, so I thought it was, in, I mean, uh, to some extent, it wasn't surprising. It was just interesting to see that my guesses weren't stupid. yeah um, because <laughs> you know, there's a lot of it going on. You know, we, we sort of know there are s- state level actors. That's the euphemism you hear everywhere, right? State-level actors are probably involved. So now you know what that means. Um, And then the last story I have is sort of security adjacent, but it's just a really good analysis of um, the big problem Google have thanks to a regulator in Turkey, of all places, from an antitrust point of view. This is a Hmm. simmering story, which if... Basically, the court have found Google guilty, but haven't decided on what the remedy should be. But it could mean the end of Google being allowed to always put their own stuff in the Google one box.
0: Uh, This is which country? Turkey
1: is the country where the court case, where the uh, enforcement action is. But Okay. So just like Apple have just changed their entire app store for the world based on a Japanese case... The question is, will Google forego doing business in Turkey, or will Google make changes for the whole world? Since
0: the writing's on the wall. Since wall the writing's on the coming. wall, anyway.
1: As I say, it's a you really what, good analysis. It's, it's by Wired, um, and it, it sort of gives you an idea, because Google aren't really on the radar in terms of the news coverage about their anti, um, antitrust woes. But they actually have antitrust woes. Um, and it's all I have about been search. surprised
0: at how little covered that is. Like, I know the ruling came down uh, about Apple versus uh, Fortnite, and one of the things that the judge said was that Apple is not a monopoly in the category. As she didn't take either company's definition, but the definition she chose that was somewhere in the middle said no, they're not a monopoly. And as I was listening to that, I'm going. Hmm, what's what's she going to say about Google? Because the same suit exists, but I never hear about it. Maybe because I only listen to Apple-centric stuff? Am I self-selecting and missing it? Uh, uh, (sighs) There is a parallel Google case,
1: and I also haven't heard much about it. And I don't think it's because I only read Apple stuff, because I do my best to keep up on all this sort of security stuff. But it hasn't crossed my radar either. So maybe Yeah, this isn't
0: really security. And it's not really privacy, right? It's antitrust, and it's fighting over the app stores. Yeah, which and is sort money. of tech
1: news, I guess, which is where it should be crossing the yeah. radar.
0: Well, I would have heard it on DTNS if it had come up.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Those are exactly the kind of places where I absolutely would hear it. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah so it hmm.
1: it doesn't seem to have made it to the same point in the trial where, because you know, when Tim Cook and stuff gave evidence, that was a really big deal. But there hasn't yeah. been a Sundar Pichai goes to court version of
0: that <laughs> yeah i'm curious where that's going to go oh back on the um uh get health data leak that affected uh apple health and fitbit and all these other mm-hmm. companies i ended up putting in the mac observers link just since it's a more well known to this audience uh brilliant
1: yeah um, I, I, I used story. tmo for a it, lot of it, my links
0: it also does not answer the question it says there's 17,764 records from apple health kit but it does not say i bet that's records not people i think you're probably right
1: yeah, so it's, but if those records are actually summary records, then maybe it's a case that one person only has 10 records because it's like your week's worth of activity condensed into one record. The, the word record is such a terribly meaningless way of describing a data breach. Like, yeah. I want to know how many humans are involved.
0: Yeah. Hey, can we move on to palate cleansers? Because I have one. All yours. So I was driving uh, up the 405 freeway uh, near uh, Carson, and I saw the funniest billboard, because I think only certain, just a very small subset of people are going to understand it. It was a an ad by DuckDuckGo, and all it said was, be a stranger.
1: <laughs> I, I <laughs> love when they play around with your stuff, because that should be a
0: bad thing, but it's a good thing. Yeah, I, I but it's a, I don't quite understand how well that's going to work, because if you know what DuckDuckGo is, you're going to get the joke. But if you don't know what DuckDuckGo is, you're going to go, what? And would it be enough to get you to go type DuckDuckGo into Google search to find out what DuckDuckGo is, that it's a, a privacy-centric search engine?
1: Is the, is the notion know. that in California, there's enough people who know they should be using DuckDuckGo, and you just got to tweak their brain?
0: I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes it's just name recognition, right? Having a billboard mm. that says DuckDuckGo will make, I mean, people who drive the 405 freeway drive it over and over and over, over and over, over <laughs> again, right? So you begin, eventually you're going to go, can i got to find out what that thing is. What are they talking about? <laughs>
1: <So> maybe, <laughs> Actually, maybe that's it, right? Make them confused enough to want to go figure it out.
0: Be a stranger? Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyway, it made me giggle. I like. Yeah, it. Yeah, no,
1: I like it. it. It's, it's a good ad for a privacy-aware search engine. Be a stranger.
0: Really? Well, this is a, uh, a record breaker, Bart. Uh, 33 minutes. I don't think we've ever gone this short. And it's not because we were rushing. <laughs> it's quite the opposite. But anyway. <laughs> no, we doodled around.
1: <laughs> the bottom line is always the same. Stay patched, so you stay secure.
0: Well, that's going to wind us up for this week. Don't forget to send in your dumb questions. We have not had a dumb question in a long time. I would like some dumb questions. These are the ones that are—it just sound like you're really dumb, but it's just it's something that you don't know, and maybe somebody else knows, and you can get the answer to your question. Don't make them really hard ones. They're supposed to be dumb questions. Anyway, send those, your Everything is Fiddly recordings, comments, and suggestions by emailing me at allison at podfeet.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Remember, everything good starts with PodFeed.com. You want to be cool like Tim? Go to PodFeed.com slash Patreon and become a patron of the PodFeed podcast. Or do you want to be cool like Christoph and do one-time payments or even quarterly like him? Go to PodFeed.com slash PayPal. If you want to join in the conversation, we have a lot of fun over in Slack at podfeet.com slash Slack. Or if you like Facebook, we have a group there too, podfeet.com slash Facebook. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time. And you might see us drink moonshine given to us by Kevin on our trip out to Virginia. But you can always join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.